You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Go to John chapter 12 in your Bibles as I sort of make my way uh, through talking about Passover today. I'm going to call this the last Passover. It's actually the week before Passover in the, the um, calendar. Let me just tell you ahead of time that I really lament uh, how the Christian church so very, very long ago left the Jewish Hebrew calendar. So Easter Sunday is not married uh, by our celebrations with the Passover celebrations of our Jewish brothers. And I think that actually makes it very difficult for us to understand sometimes the gospel stories. So I don't have great bullet points for you. We're going to get into the gospel. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to preach the gospel. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes you and lights you up. The greatest experience of your humanity is to know God. You were designed to know God. You've actually been birthed as a human being to know Him. He loves you. He knows everything about you. He's calling you right now to know Him in greater, greater fashion. There's no accident that you're sitting here. There's no accident that the sun is shining. There's no accident that you've been brought here in this circumstance, in this day, in this hour. You were designed by God this very moment to know Him. It's the greatest human experience that you can ever have. Praise the Lord that it's ongoing all the way to eternity. I see all of your smiling faces in eternity and here and now. And so we're going to talk about this last Passover. And so in John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So I'm going to pray and you're all going to shout amen. Jesus, come now and help your church to be the church and your disciples and followers. Give us faith and give us your power, for we cry out to you in your name. In Jesus' name we say, all God's people say, Amen. Amen. This is the week before Passover. Jesus would be that Paschal lamb, that Paschal sacrifice. And so I want to talk about Passover as I take you through the better part of chapter 12 here. And we have to sort of understand that when we talk about Passover, now we're talking about Passover in a celebratory manner. And we talk about Easter in a celebratory manner. But what's fascinating is this was the last Passover. And we're talking about Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh, dying on a cross about that size. So it was not, it was not necessarily our intention to make a cross that size, the actual size of that day. It's about that size. And the reason why it was that size was so that when you were walking down the street, Rome wanted you to be able to look at what it was like to be crucified and says, if you defy me, if you do not think Caesar is God, if you rebel against me, we do that to you. And so Jesus coming on a prophetic timeline on this Passover sacrifice now, those were actually dark days. Let's talk about dark days. It doesn't mean that everybody in that dark day had every day of complete and total darkness. There's, there's, there's happiness and sadness and it, it's intertwined. It's like us right now. Believe it or not, we are in these really trippy dark days as a culture. And so I want to mention two very quickly, just to give you an idea. And, and, it's, and I, I mention these things so that you will cry out to God and trust God for supernatural power because it is God's will that you overcome the darkness because when the light of Christ comes, the darkness must flee. Amen. Jesus' 
first creative words, the first creative words in all eternity. Jesus Christ, pre-existent as God, the first thing he ever said was, let there be what? And the darkness had to flee. That element spiritually and physically of a created order of light is actually birth of God. And so darkness must flee when the light was come. So let's, let's talk about two things very quickly. One's, one's sort of cheeky and the other one's very serious. So the first one's Will Smith. Let's go there. Okay, so Will Smith, so Will Smith gets up and smacks somebody, right? Praise the Lord, he didn't kill somebody. And so, so listen, well, our message to Will Smith is that we love you, brother. Come and repent of your sins and come to Jesus Christ. Be born again. Enter his church. We wrap our arms around you. You're a sinner just like all the rest of us. Welcome home, right? That's our gospel message to him. Right? There's no judgment. But it's wrong. And my criticism that I had online, which wasn't so cheeky, is that the academy is guilty of sins and deception. In other words, the academy produces a, a, a billion-dollar industry that promotes violence through all kinds of artistic mediums, and when somebody acts on it inside them, says, oh, no, you can't do that. No, you just made your billions of dollars. What do you want? You want your billions of dollars? You want righteousness. No, you want your billions of dollars. And that's just talking about violence. I could pick on sex and other things, and I won't for the moment. Dark days. You're going to probably end up politically having to choose in the state of California to actually vote, changing the subject now, having to vote against infanticide. Our legislature is actually aggressively pushing a very serious bill through our legislature in California that will actually legalize infanticide. So church, when your pastor says no to that on the streets and says no to that in every place possible and begins to cry out to God, I expect you to join me. And if I end up in prison, will you at least bring me lunch? Yes. <laughs> That's a very serious thing. You want to talk about something that will bring darkness on our land and bring judgment? As in the days of Moses, as in the days of this last Passover, this last time, something like that will do it. And it's not like we don't have other sins. I believe it's Billy Graham most famously said that if God, if God doesn't save America, you know, then, then we owe uh, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah a great apology, as I butcher a Billy Graham quote. <laughs> These are dark days. And yet we can be happy in them, and the light can come, and you're going to see the power of the gospel, and you're going to see salvation. But these are the same kind of things that were going on in this day. We're six days before the Passover. Jesus, therefore, went to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And you're going to see in a minute what they were thinking about Lazarus. Now let's talk about the Passover. The things related to Passover are fascinating. You had, to take, you had to take the animal, the lamb, it was slaughtered, and you had to paint basically the doorposts, and it actually made a cross, oddly enough, interestingly enough, and it was a prophetic symbol, and therefore when the judgment was coming, when the angel of death was coming, it would literally pass over and push on, and you'd be free. And that spiritual principle is still alive in the New Testament where now the very blood of Christ is our Passover, Paschal Lamb, the last sacrifice, the final sacrifice because Christ is actually God, not a lamb, not, not that. Read the book of Hebrews as Hebrews can go through a long dissertation explaining why a blood sacrifice of an animal doesn't work. I'll give you the cliff notes. It's an animal. 
You're human. You're made in the image and likeness of God. That's why you're unique. We love animals. Be nice to dogs and cats and horses and anything else out there. We love little creatures. They got four legs. We love them. We love them. Yeah, I'll just pull that one in. But we are not those animals. And so God needed to come with pure blood from heaven to die for us. To be resurrected from the dead so that you could be born again in the divine purposes of your humanity for everything you're designed for. In other words, to not be a Christian, to not be born again, to not be full of the Holy Spirit, to not be Christ-centric, bibliocentric in terms of the Scripture, is to actually miss out on the complete divine design for your life. The Passover in Moses' day surrounded and began to exercise a series of feasts. So the first one's Passover. So the second one is actually mandatory. He actually, he actually has a male according to the teachings of Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, by way of reference. Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, just a reference. Moses teaching, all the men have to come before God three times. And that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is inside the Passover celebration. So let me help you to understand this. Just think about Thanksgiving. Just think about Christmas. All right, so at Thanksgiving, do you ever just show up at Thanksgiving? Church, you ever just show up at Thanksgiving? No, you prepare something. Your friends invite you over and you say, what can I bring? Right? I know you're all good ranch church people, so I know you'd say that. What can I bring? And they'll say, you can't bring anything, just bring yourself. And what do you do? You bring something. <laughs> right, right? That's our social order back and forth, right? And then if you didn't bring something, if your friend really loved you, they say, I told you to bring something. Right? <laughs> now, throughout the week, and preparing for that, and inside the whole weekend of Thanksgiving are all kinds of other cultural celebrations. So good or bad, whatever the case is, we have something called Black Friday where everybody's supposed to go and buy a gift for themselves. And be thankful, right? We're not really buying it for anybody else. We're just going to spend money, so that's Thanksgiving. At Christmas, Christmas is the 25th, yes? Oh, church. Is Christmas on December 25th? Yeah, thank you. Okay, but we celebrate it on the 24th, right? So we have the Christmas Eve beforehand. We'll get together with friends. We'll come to church. We'll do that kind of thing. Then we have the 25th. Then we do other things during the week leading all up to the new year. In other words, we have multiple festivals or celebrations or friends that we will meet along the same week for different reasons. Church, are you with me? Yes. Passover was the same. You had the whole Passover celebration of a week, and inside that week, there were other th celebrations. Almost makes you want to be Jewish. You go, that's kind of fun, and that's kind of fun, and that's kind of fun. <laughs> so Passover is what we just mentioned in brief. But two days later, there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread where you celebrated that you were done with sin. That's what that was all about. Sin is not what's going to stick to me. Sin's not what's going to dominate with me. Sin's not what's going to be the end of my life. I'm not going to end up with sin having mastery over me. I'm going to end up bragging to all of humanity in heaven and earth, Jesus Christ has freed me from my sin. That's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
So you had to come to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then 50 days later, you had to actually come to what we call Pentecost. That's the, that's the Latin way of saying, the Greek way of saying that. And Pentecost was actually the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And what you had to do at the day of Pentecost, which is really interesting and very similar to some of our worship experiences, is that you had to take some sort of food and you actually wave it in front of God. You are my sustainer. You're the one who feeds me. Bless the work of my hands, Lord God, that I might become abundant in your name and give you glory. Bless everything I'm going to do this next year that you might receive glory and honor and praise. Baptize the work of my hands, God. I don't come to you empty-handed. I come to lay down my life to you. And you would lay down your life in the prayers and the utterances of the, I lay down my mind, my body, my soul, my spirit, my will, my checkbook, everything inside me, everything. I just lay it down before you, God, that you would bless it that you would multiply it. That's Pentecost. Then the third one you had to go to is when in September, it's really interesting, it's actually, it's actually called Tabernacles, and what you do is you came together in Jerusalem, very similar to this, the temple would sort of be, the original tabernacle, excuse me, is about the size of this tent, actually, and people, like you guys are in beach chairs sitting around, well, imagine if you just had tents, and you had to, you know, you tent for a week, you kind of tent camp, and we have a big party, that's Tabernacles. After five days after the Day of Atonement. So these were the celebration, the festivals that were actually part of the Jewish calendar, and I'm not going through all of them exhaustively. And it actually starts here with Passover, six days. Jesus in Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those who was reclining at the table. So Lazarus just slightly before had been resuscitated really back from the dead. Resurrection, resuscitation are different. Resuscitation is you're dead, you're back alive, and you're going to die again. That's Lazarus. Jesus, three days later, he's resurrected from the dead. And what that means is that there has been an eternal transformation of the physical body, and it is no longer bound by the laws of physics here, which is exactly why Jesus could go through a wall or go through some other time-space continuum or something like that. His body was resurrected never to die again. That's you and I. So you're going to like your heavenly body. Yeah, you're going to love it. I'm going to love mine. You're going to love yours. Lazarus was, by, by truth, resuscitated back from the dead after truly being dead. And there he was reclining at the table, which just an amazing sight. And so next verse, verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. I mean, that's something. See, when I start out by saying that Jesus wants to draw you close, the biblical imageries are there in a true physicality. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to ask who has the longest hair here. Uh, I used to wear my hair very long. And, and so uh, this is really long, I would imagine. But no matter what, in order for her to have her bangs or her hair long enough in front of her face, Jesus' feet there, by the way, he was in sandals outside walking around, so, you know, there's some of that earthly nature there. And she's, she's working this close to Christ, right, this close to God. How badly do you want to be close to Christ? 
And so she's, she's willing to do that. She breaks his fragrance. And so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Jesus Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now John is going to have his commentary here. He's going to let you know the truth. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and was having charge of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was in it. So what's going on is she breaks, she breaks the fragrance. It's exactly what you would think. All over the house, you can smell it, that kind of thing. And then Judas Iscariot is going to say, why didn't we sold this to the poor? We could have gotten 300 denarii for it. So a lot of people wonder how much is 300 denarii. I, I, you know, there's a lot of commentaries that go back and forth in terms of what is that in modern terms. In, in modern terms, it's anywhere between three to $600 easily. So you just think, would you actually hold in your hand $300 and then just break something for the sake of worship or whatever the case is? That You have to think about that. And Judas Iscariot is saying, why didn't we give this to the poor? No, he wants to steal because he's been stealing from the Lord beforehand. But Jesus has been loving him the whole time. That's a scenario. And sitting right next to him is Lazarus. And we're a week before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus would say there, verse 7, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with me, but you do not always have me. The transformational nature of your life will be when you understand that the very purpose of your life is to worship Jesus as God. That will change everything. That will change the entirety of your life, the trajectory of your destiny, of your journey in this lifetime. At the Passover, the original one, which is the backdrop to this, is now in Exodus chapter 3. Moses, who, who discovered as a young man that he was actually a Hebrew, and that he was adopted into Pharaoh's household, having discovered that, he now wants to go do something. And so he wants to go do something. He discovers that one of his brethren is being mistreated. His way of taking care of the problem was to actually be violent towards that man and ultimately kill that man who was oppressing his Hebrew brother that he didn't even know anything about. He's completely overcompensated. He's completely overreacted. But he actually kills a man. So Will Smith slapped the man. Moses actually grabbed hold and killed the man. And then he's gone now for 40 years. God comes and visits him at the burning bush, Exodus 3. And Moses is thinking, because he knows the royal court, he knows what it's like, and he's thinking, okay, well, I tried this one, so when I go there, what is your name? Oh, very interesting God in the burning bush, burning, not burning in the bush, and I actually have to take my shoes off, and I, I'm obviously on holy ground, and I don't completely understand all of this experience, but sure, we'll do it. And I'm with you. Thank you for basking me in your glory. That's amazing. And so, what is your name? And the Lord will say, I am. I am that I am. Transliterated is Yahweh. The Lord's name is the Lord. My name's Rick Soto. That's my name. My first name's Rick. Last name's Soto. That's my name. The Lord's name is the Lord. That's his personal name. 
That's how you're to understand him. Is there a master of the universe? His name is Jesus. He's the Lord. Is there a creator of the universe? His name is Jesus. That's the Lord. Is there someone who, as the Lord God, wants to know you personally? That's the Lord. Is there someone who can actually judge you in your sin and forgive you of your sin and be the one who frees you and pays it at the same time and make justice and mercy come together? That's the Lord. The Lord is his name. His name is Jesus. Leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial, for you will not always have me. So going on now, church, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only an account of him, but also to see Lazarus, that, resur- that story had gotten out there, whom he had raised from the dead. The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, so many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They're thinking, let's kill this guy. Because what's Lazarus doing? As you read the prior chapters, he's actually not trying to do anything. It's just like, once you dead, we did your burial, right? We, we did your testimony. I mean, we had the service, and we told stories about you, and, and uh, we cried. We had the professional mourners out there. And then now you're back. What happened? What happened? And he's telling his story. And he's basically saying, go ask Jesus. I didn't resurrect myself. I didn't make this up myself. I couldn't even pray. I was dead. Go talk to Jesus about this. Tremendous commotion at this Passover celebration. Now, verse 12, and on to the day of our church calendar, the next day of the large crowd, this is the triumphal entry, that had come to the feast and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna which literally means God save us. God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So now they're cluing in that Jesus is the Lord. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, for fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now let me just share some thoughts about this so we are all on the same page related to the scriptures. Jesus came first. As a humble man, as God humbling himself, reference there to Philippians chapter 2, actually actually creating limitations within his divinity to squeeze into humanity so that we could all be freed. He's not coming back like that. He went into Jerusalem to fulfill prophecy on a little donkey like this, on a young donkey. He's going in a humble manner. But that's not how he's coming back. There will be a rapture. And then as the prophetic timeline comes, he will be coming back on a horse to claim his own. He will be coming back with power. He will be coming back on a white horse. And there will be flames and there will be tremendous manifestations that are very similar to them when the Lord was descending on the mountaintop, nicknamed the mountain of fire back in the day. Jesus will pierce heaven and earth and be coming in the same way. And he's bringing an angel army with him. And he will right every wrong at that moment. He will liberate every single captive that still needs liberty of that captive. But he's in a different economy of God as he comes back. To do not be deceived and think that Jesus humbling himself to go on the cross is because he lacks power. Jesus would need to humble himself so much on the cross that he actually needs to not respond so much when he's in front of 
of Pontius Pilate because if he does, Pontius Pilate will not put him on the cross. He has all power. He has all authority. He has to actually quiet himself and humble himself in tremendous pain to actually put himself on the cross. Otherwise, Pontius Pilate will be overwhelmed by his sheer divinity. At this moment, we're still a week before the triumphal entry. So going on now, verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that things had been written about him and he had done had been done to him. And so the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So now there's a huge crowd saying the same thing. And the reason why the crowd went up to meet him was so that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I am here to tell you, my friends, every single person desires Jesus. They don't know. It's part of why we preach the gospel. It's part of why we're here. They just don't know. I was with a group. Actually, I actually have permission to tell the story. Uh, I'll let you fill that one in. So I was with a group of people where somebody was hurting. Way, way away from the valley. And somebody was hurting in the social group that I'm a part of and that, and that I was with. And, and so everybody said, you know, well, well we're going to give you positive vibes and positive thoughts. Oh, please. <laughs> so at that, at that moment, I'm like, okay, well, everybody knows I'm a pastor here, and we're lifelong friends, so it's like, okay, we're, Lord Jesus, am I going to really go there? Yes, we're going to go there. We're going to go there. And so, 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 yes, I might give you positive vibes, give you positive thoughts. Positive vibes, oh, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great. And so then they turn to me, and they go, well, what does a pastor you know, in our little social group has to say? So I go, well, here's what I want to ask you guys. I turn to one person who's like really about the positive vibes. I go, has positive vibes actually taken away all the negativity and darkness in your life and actually ever done anything for anybody, let alone yourself in your own personal life? Well, if you're going to put it that way. <laughs> I don't really know another way to put it. Okay, well, I don't know. Maybe not. What would you do? Literally, what would you do? I would talk directly to God because he has given me permission to do so. I would ask that divine power, which is not of myself, but belongs to God, would somehow, by his common grace, come and special grace, come and enter through my life through prayer and actually enter into this other person who's in desperate need that they might know that God loves them and is willing to give them his power and his strength to help them overcome whatever they're facing. I got all Pentecostal. <laughs> and so the social group that doesn't know Jesus literally turns around and goes, yeah, that's probably be right. And in other words, as my one friend said, if there is a God in heaven, and if we can actually talk to him, then we should probably do that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. All the world was coming after Jesus. These next few verses. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Underline that in your Bible. 
And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew, Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered him and said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must also follow me. Where I am, there may be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In these festivals and in these times, the proclamation was towards certain things. In the Passover celebration that we're reading that's getting warmed up here, this triumphal entry, as it's called in the church calendar, there is the I am statements of Jesus which dominate the backstory. Earlier in John, there's actually been a series of I am statements that Jesus has actually said. I am the bread of life. I am the actual sustenance. I am the light of the world. You walk in me, there will not be filled with any darkness. And, and so these I am statements are part of that. They proclaim that Jesus Christ is God and Lord of the universe. There is nothing greater. He is the one. Secondly, they communicate, as with Lazarus here, that this, this God of the universe, this Jesus, who is the creator and author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews says, the one who will never leave you, never forsake you, according to Hebrews 13.5, that this Jesus is actually a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God to save you. From what? From yourself. He's here to save you from yourself. He's here to show you how to get out of your own way of divine blessing. He's here to show you that you actually have a power, you have a problem, excuse me, but his power is designed to actually take care of that before you have cognitive or spiritual recognition of it. Just let that sink in for a moment. He's a miracle-working God. What's, your, what, what's the miracle necessary today? If it's a bodily healing, good. Watch God work. Is spiritual healing good? Watch God work. Those things often work in concert. Never let anybody tell you that God's not a miracle working God. Never let anybody tell you that God's not doing miracles this very day, this very moment, this very hour. And never let anybody tell you that God will not do a miracle right now in your life. Because He will. So this Passover. The celebrations of feasts that are celebrated in the Jewish calendar that we're looking at now because of the context of Scripture is that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's that, he's that miracle-working God and that all of us desire to see Jesus. That's the cry here in the next section. All of us want to see Jesus. The beginning of this journey of seeing Christ is that it hinges on you know, a door swings open and there's a hinge there that allows it to swing open. And it is this truth for which you and I do not deserve and that is that God actually loves you. Now, I can tell you I love you and I do. I love our church. I love so many of you. and So many of us have been friends for so, so many times. But I'm a human being. I have bad days and good days. And, and, uh, and late, let, let's just talk about it straight up. There's only so much I love you. There's only so much you love me because we're humans, right? 
And so we can actually offend one another, and then we have to kind of recoil. And, you know, okay, wait, give me, give me a moment. Let me figure this out. Then we have to go through conflict resolution. We have all this energy and think about how to do all of that. It's all, it's all of our humanity because we're so broken. God is not like that. He loves you. In the nastiness of your sinfulness, in the frailty of all of your human errors, in the depth of all of your despair, he absolutely, completely, and totally loves you to save you. Nothing, nothing like that ever compares. The beginning of embracing the supernatural power of that is giving up your human pride and your self-sufficiency and getting out of the way of yourself and understanding that I'm not all that. No matter what car I drive, house I live in, zeros in my bank account, it goes away tomorrow, I'm not all that. I need Jesus. I need God desperately. And he will answer that cry. I begin to understand that the spiritual definition of that is called sinfulness, and that there's actually a sinfulness inside of me that actually cripples the miracle supernatural work of God. I am no different than anybody who's ever been on planet Earth, not the Israelites that followed Moses, not the people of Jesus' day. And that sinfulness actually creates demonic attachments, which create the deepest and most serious kinds of perversions, and that Christ has promised to break off. There is no demon that has a chance in hell for even a second in front of the power of Christ. No weapon, the Bible says, fashioned against the people of God can ever prosper. And so Christ died on the cross, spilling divine blood, resurrected on the third day, so that as you would die with him spiritually, he will grab you in that death and pull you into his very life so that you are resurrected with him spiritually. And in his lifetime, Jesus says, you'll be born again. So church, you have to come to Jesus. I'm going to pray. I need to ask you to respond to that publicly. I need you to never be ashamed of God. Jesus Christ made a very bold statement for someone who, who was so full of love. When you read this Bible, people ran to him because they were so full of love with him. He was so full of love, they were, they were just immersed in it and so overwhelmed with it constantly. The 12 who followed him didn't even know what to do with it. And so he says this, if you deny me in front of humans, man and woman, if you do that, I will deny you in front of my Father in heaven. If in any moment economy, you never do that. There's a difference between, you know, stumbling and sort of stuttering, if you will, and actually denying him. And he says, so you, you, you speak of me publicly. I died on the cross publicly. You come to faith publicly. You, you acknowledge that I am saving you and that I'm your savior publicly and you never deny me in that manner. That is the change. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.